Uh, let's, let's pray that as we dig into this passage, uh, we'll be encouraged uh, in our own uh, gospel witness and to uh, encounter uh, some of the, the diversity that uh, is involved in, uh, in gospel witness as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that uh, you work in ways that we do not always understand and yet in ways that are always what is best. Father, we ask that you would help us in our own circumstances as we consider uh, what happened 2,000 years ago in the city of Philippi. Help us here in the city of the Gold Coast uh, to not only know what witness can look like, but to have hearts that are opened uh, by the Lord Jesus that we might play our part in this witness as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's dive in and meet Lydia. Now, uh, there's three things, I reckon, that are important to note about Lydia. Fortunately, they all start with the letter W, so you'll be able to remember them very easily. Uh, the first thing about Lydia is she is a woman. The second is that she is wealthy. And the third is that she is a worshipper of God. Okay? Three significant things to note about Lydia. Uh, firstly, that she is a woman. Now, that's not remarkable. Half the world, or even more, are women. Uh, so, uh, you know, 50-50 chance there. And yet, uh, some of you may have noticed that out of the witnesses that we've met so far, none have been women. Lydia, number six uh, in our list, and we're up to chapter 16 of the book, is the first woman uh, that we're considering. So if you've been uh, looking at the picture on the front here and the crowd of people, uh, the women are definitely outnumbered by the men. Now, uh, for some of you, you, you may not even have noticed that and you may not even care. Uh, for some of you, you might think, oh, at last, about time. You know, where have all the women been? Uh, if, if you're a particularly sceptical sort of person, and I'm not sure how many are here this morning, but if you are, you might be thinking, oh, here we go, the token woman. <laughs> Uh, that's not, not the case uh, at all. Now, let me be clear, it is true that the Bible does make a distinction between men and women. Uh, a very clear distinction, and the Bible sees that this distinction as a good thing. Uh, that, that God has made in his own image both male and female. They are similar and yet different. Uh, to one another. And uh, one of the consequences of God's choice to make men and women is that there are some roles in his creation uh, that are uh, reserved uh, for men, uh, particularly in the church, that there are some leadership roles, for example, the role of elder, uh, that in the Bible, in God's word, uh, are reserved for men. That, that is true. But what is not true is an assumption that is so often made on the basis of that, that God makes some value distinction between men and women. Uh, in, in our minds, we so often uh, tie value to role, but that's not how it works for God. Uh, God sees all that he has made, all the people that he has made, as equally valuable in his sight. In fact, in the Bible, in the church, in, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, value is not measured by status and leadership. 
Or you could say that it is, and yet it's an upside-down view of, of uh, status. Jesus himself, you might know, said in Mark 10.45, even the Son of Man, even the great ruler of the universe, Jesus is referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest in the kingdom of Jesus are those who are like Jesus, servants. Jesus was the servant of all and that is how greatness and value, if it is measured at all in God's kingdom, is measured. So we need to keep that in mind. And as we meet Lydia, we will see that she is a great servant. She is of great value in God's kingdom. And so uh, we come to the story and we see what happens. Uh, Paul and his companions have finally landed and here they are in um, kind of northeastern, what is currently northeastern Greece, over towards uh, the Turkish, the border with Turkey. Uh, And they head up to this Roman colony, this city of Philippi. They stay there a few days, we read, in the first, uh, in verses 11 and 12. And it seems that they're waiting for something, and what they're waiting for is the Sabbath. They're waiting for Saturday. Uh, The reason they're waiting for Saturday is because it was their habit, their practice always, to go first to the Jews. Uh, Saturday, as you probably know, the Sabbath was the meeting day uh, for the Jewish community. If there was a synagogue in the town or the place, that is where Paul and his companions would go and take the good news of Jesus first. Uh, If there was not a synagogue, then they would uh, look for another place of gathering uh, where the the Jews might be. And so uh, we read, on the Sabbath, verse 13, uh, we, and that's interesting, uh, the first time in uh, in the whole book, in Acts, that uh, the, the, what is that, first person plural, uh, is used. Usually it's, uh, it's about what they are doing, but now the author, Luke, has joined Uh, this wandering band of of witnesses. And so we uh, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Whatever they might have expected to find, uh, what they did find was a group of women. Uh, We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. It seems that it was only women, uh, no men, I don't think there were men and the guys just ignored them. I think it was a group of women who had gathered for prayer uh, down at the river. Now, Paul and his companions, if they didn't think that women uh, were of value in God's kingdom, could have seen the scenario and gone, oh, better go look for some guys. You know, they could have, they could have turned around, but they didn't. Uh, they saw the opportunity that God was giving them and they went and they spoke to the women. Later on, uh, when Lydia offered, uh, made her offer of hospitality, Paul and his companions could have turned her down, but they didn't. They accepted it. Just like Jesus, Paul and co. saw women as equals, equal in need of the gospel, equal in capacity to receive the gospel, and as we'll see later, equal partners in gospel ministry, equal witnesses. And so among these women was Lydia, verse 16. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, so that's over in Turkey, actually in that area that Paul and his companions had been prevented from going to, and yet here she is in Philippi. 
named Lydia, probably actually named after the area that she was from, uh, which was called Lydia, uh, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. Uh, so the second thing we need to know about Lydia is that she was most likely wealthy. Uh, and the reason we figure that is firstly that she was a dealer in purple cloth, literally just a dealer in purple, uh, perhaps the purple dye itself or perhaps things that had been dyed with it. Uh, and purple was a rare dye, a rare colour, only came from the shell of some snail, sea snail or something like that, I forget all the details, but very rare, hard to get, hard to come by, and usually reserved for royalty and nobility. Uh, that if you wore purple, that was a signal that you were of the upper class. And so this is a very niche market, and only people with money, lots of it, could actually afford to buy uh, this stuff. So it's reasonable to assume that somebody who was a dealer in purple uh, was uh, quite a wealthy person. Along with that, uh, later on, when we read of uh, Lydia's response to the gospel, we read that her whole household was baptised. It seems likely that if Lydia was a businesswoman, uh, that she was also a single woman, perhaps a widow, uh, and yet she had a household. In other words, it could have been extended family, but also would most likely have included uh, slaves and household servants as well, who lived under her roof, perhaps uh, worked alongside her as well. So here she is, wealthy businesswoman, uh, leader of a household, and, uh, and that's an important thing to know about Lydia because we'll, and we'll come back to think about uh, why that matters in a minute. She's a woman, she's wealthy, and thirdly, she is described as a worshipper, a worshipper of God. You remember that Paul and his companions, they were looking for a place of prayer and they found it. It seems that these women were meeting there on the Sabbath because they were either Jewish women or women who had converted uh, to Judaism, had become, were Gentiles who had uh, heard about uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and had become uh, Jewish. Uh, and it seems likely that that's the case for Lydia. She is from Thyatira, a Gentile area. Seems likely that she is a Gentile convert to Judaism and therefore a worshipper of God. So these are the three things. She is a woman, wealthy, and a worshipper of God, but she does not know the Lord Jesus. The gospel has not she met her ears. She, she hasn't heard him. She hasn't heard of him or met him. And so Paul and his companions, that's what they're there for, isn't it? To be witnesses to the Lord Jesus. And so we read, we sat down and we began to speak to them. Now, uh, it's hard to know exactly what that looked like, whether it was sort of a formal teaching uh, situation, uh, one talking to many. It's interesting that it says we sat down and there's the plural there and began to teach them. It could be that there were multiple conversations. Uh, sorry, not teach, but speak to them. Uh, multiple conversations going on uh, of a more informal nature. Whatever the case might be, uh, it was Paul, we read, who spoke the message to Lydia. And her response is, or the description of it is so simple, so brief, 
and yet also so wonderful. Uh, we read, she was a worshipper of God and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord, that is Jesus, opened her heart to respond to the message that, that Paul brought. The message isn't described here. Uh, we can have a fair crack at, you know, we know what Paul said in other places. We know that he spoke of Jesus as the Messiah, particularly to a Jewish audience. He revealed from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel. Uh, and yet he more than fulfilled their small expectations. He was also uh, the king of the world. Uh, the word opened, used as uh, you know, in Lydia's response, the Lord opened her heart, is only used one other time in the Bible, in uh, Luke, actually, so same author, uh, in Luke chapter 24, when the risen Lord is uh, meeting with his disciples uh, in the upper room, he's already met with the guys on the road, now he's meeting in the upper room, and it says uh, there in 24 verse 45, let me get it so I don't misquote, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It's likely that that is the message. The concurrence of those two words in those contexts suggests that this is the message that Paul proclaimed. And as he did... The Lord Jesus opened, literally opened wide, opened wide her heart to respond to Paul's message. Uh, the focus here isn't on the content of what Paul said, but on how salvation is applied. That opened wide her heart, it's a great description, isn't it? If you think about it, it's kind of a bit gruesome. You know, you think of open heart surgery, open wide her heart. If you actually think about a heart and opening it wide, that's a serious operation. But it's also glorious because it allows what shouldn't be in her heart out. The operation is done and it allows what belongs in her heart in, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the work that he does both brutal and beautiful, tough and tender. We read in, uh, earlier in Acts, uh, on the day of Pentecost, remember the uh, listeners were cut to the heart. Same thing is going on here. The, the, the operation is being done. The surgery is being done. The people are hearing the, the news of their sin and their guilt before God and yet the gift of grace and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hearts, they're having heart surgery done. Their hearts are being drawn wide open, and that is how it must happen. Friends, that is how it must happen for anyone. There's no salvation unless the gospel gets deep down into your heart. The Lord opened wide Lydia's heart, and then he walked right in. That's the image. Now, before we go on uh, to what Lydia does next. I want to talk to you who are here today because though, as far as I'm aware, none of you uh, are Jewish and have a Jewish 
Old Testament concept of God. I wonder if some of you here might be described as worshippers of God in the same way that Lydia was or similar. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Perhaps this is you. You believe that God is real. No place for that atheism stuff. You, you just know, right? There is a God. You believe that he made the world and the world belongs to him. You believe that as a result, he deserves your worship. You believe in heaven, maybe you even believe in hell. And you hope that you've lived a good enough life to warrant God's forgiveness or mercy or whatever it is that needs to happen to be accepted into heaven when you die. But you don't know Jesus. You've heard of him, sure, you you know he's important, but you don't know him. That is, he hasn't opened your heart wide. Dear friend, if that is you, then maybe today is the day for you to go from being a worshipper of God to a believer in the Lord Jesus. To put your trust, your life, in his hands. And here's why you should, in fact, here is why you must, because without Jesus, you are lost. Jesus is the only way to God. That was true for Lydia and it's true for you and me and for everyone who has ever been born. You need a saviour and Jesus is the saviour you need. His cross was the price and his tomb was the proof. Now there's a lot more to say about that. But that's all you need to know for the Lord to open your heart today and walk right in. And if he does, if he has, even now, even right now, then praise God and please come and talk to me after. A second thought about uh, what happened to Lydia, and that is for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus, uh, but whose witness is stifled by a false belief that we hear all the time, a lie that we hear all the time, and it's this, no one is interested. You ever come across that, the idea that you're either a Christian or you're anti? That's just not true. I meet people all the time who are open. They're interested. There's kind of no barriers except their ignorance. And all they need to do is meet the Lord Jesus. So let me encourage you to not be stifled, but rather be expectant that God will continue to do this work. Don't be silent. Instead, speak up. And chances are you will be at least sometimes surprised by how welcome, how ready people are to receive the good news of Jesus. Okay, back to Lydia. Uh, and let's, let's look at her response to the gospel. Uh, in verse 15, we read two things happen next. Uh, when she, so uh, the Lord opened her heart, this is the end of verse 14, uh, and to respond to Paul's message, when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, 
come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. First thing that happens as Lydia's heart is ripped open and Jesus takes up residence, first thing that happens is that she and all her household are baptised. Now, baptism is the outward sign of God's inner work. No one could see what Jesus was doing to Lydia's heart, but everyone could see what happened afterwards. Uh, The first thing was she was baptised, this sign of both entry into God's kingdom, but also belonging to Jesus and to God's people. But notice that it wasn't only Lydia who was baptised, it was in fact her whole household, as I mentioned before, that could have included both family uh, and also servants. Uh, Now, some people uh, use passages like this, and uh, if we were to read on uh, the situation of the Philippian jailer as well, when his whole family were also household were also baptised. Some people use these passages to uh, promote uh, infant baptism. Now, if you were at Late Start uh, last week, you would have seen uh, two children baptised, Sammy and Phoebe coming, were baptised here. We're a Presbyterian church. Uh, we, we actually practise uh, infant baptism. Is this a passage that supports it? Well, it's a passage that leaves open the possibility <laughs> Uh, we don't want to overstate what the Bible says. The fact is that some children may have been in Lydia's household or the household of the Philippian jailer, but we're not told one way or another. There are actually other reasons uh, to, uh, to practice infant baptism, uh, God's view of families and how uh, he includes uh, people in his, in his kingdom if they're born uh, to those who belong to Jesus until, at some point, unless they choose to walk away. But here we want to be careful and not say more than is being said. It's not proof, but it's possible. The other thing to, to remember about uh, these matters, where things are, cannot be proven one way or another, is that we must be generous towards one another and not insist Uh, that a certain view be held, even if we must still make a choice about how we view it ourselves and how we practice things in the church. But anyway, that's a side issue. Key thing is Lydia and a whole household entered into God's family and baptism was the sign. The second thing that Lydia does is really where we want to focus, and that is that she immediately finds a way to serve. Do you notice that? She doesn't wait to be asked. Far from it. She's on the front foot. She is persuading. She is insisting. You get the impression she might have been a pretty good businesswoman. Uh, And she persuaded us, uh, we read at the end, to come and stay at her home. Now, there's one thing that Lydia wasn't doing here. She wasn't repaying God. She wasn't like, oh, wow, God's given me something. I better pay him back. Rather, her hospitality was about her new identity. It was about responding to God's grace in kind with a gracious offer. She says, if you consider me one of you, if you, if you believe that I really am uh, one of the family, she treats Paul and his companions as if they are family. She says, you need a roof over your heads. You need someone to cook your meals. You need a home base for your ministry. Guess what? <laughs> My house is open to you. Uh, Lydia's hospitality was also very practical in nature. 
She knew that Paul and his companions were travellers. Uh, they had no contacts in the city. By inviting them to stay at her house, she was not only offering fellowship, she was also addressing a financial need, wasn't she? As a businesswoman, she would have understood that every endeavour costs money. She also would have quickly worked out that the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, produces no income. That's a fact, isn't it? No, no product is made and sold. There's no income. And Lydia saw immediately what that meant. And so she acted. Now, I wonder if you see what it means. If you see the responsibility that immediately falls on every member of the family to be a contributor to the witness and to the work of the gospel. There's all sorts of ways to contribute. One of those ways uh, is by sharing what we have. And the New Testament speaks a lot about sharing, giving, supporting uh, with all that we have for the sake of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. Lydia was a believer in the Lord, so she used what she had to support the spread of the gospel in her town. It was a simple equation for her and made perfect sense. It should make perfect sense to all of us. But Lydia's support of gospel ministry didn't stop at the city limits or end when Paul and co. left town. Now, Lydia, uh, after this chapter, she's mentioned again in, in verse 40 at the end of the chapter, um, they stay in Philippi for a little while, things get messy, as they tended to do around Paul when he's sharing the gospel and lives are turned upside down. Uh, there was a riot, they were thrown in jail, all sorts of wonderful things happened. Uh, they uh, were released from jail and they went back to Lydia's house. Read that in verse 40. Uh, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and then they left. And we never hear of Lydia again in the Bible, at least not by name. And yet, I reckon we hear of her again very much, that Paul has her, Lydia, very much in his mind and in his heart in several of the letters that he writes. Now, the first of those we've already heard from this morning, uh, Philippians, uh, a letter written to the same church. It's written about a dozen years later, uh, and we have, it, we have the privilege of having it in our, in our Bibles. Uh, I'm going to read that verse we read earlier first of all because it's such a beautiful verse that I think points so clearly to Lydia. Have a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, uh, oh, let's read from verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What, what do you think he's talking about there? The first day. Well, it's the first day that anyone in Philippi believed. He has a very particular day in mind. He has the day that Lydia's heart was opened wide and that Lydia responded and began the gospel partnership by saying, come and stay at my house. Let it be the base of your gospel mission. It was the first day of a wonderful partnership. A partnership that continued. If you look a little bit later in the letter, chapter 4, verse 15, uh, you'll read this. 
As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, again, <laughs> the early days, uh, when I set out from Macedonia, so when Paul left Philippi, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, of supporting, in other words, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, a city down the road, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This partnership that began by sharing her home extended when she could no longer share, that, share her home because they were no longer living in Philippi. She shared her wealth. She supported, she met the needs, uh, she enabled the ministry. And no doubt, others around her did as well because she was an example to them of what it meant to belong to the Lord Jesus. So that's Philippians, and you can read more and see more uh, of Lydia's influence as you read the book, the letter of, to the Philippians. But then there's also 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Uh, this is a, a passage, a famous passage, uh, that is often used to encourage generosity, gospel generosity, uh, both to the mission of God's work, but also to meeting the needs of those uh, who, have, who, who are going without. Here's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and what you need to know here or remember here is that Philippi is the leading city of the area or the region of Macedonia. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Think Philippi, think Lydia. In the midst of a, a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now you read that description and it's a, there's something a little bit odd about it. The Macedonian churches are described as experiencing extreme poverty. We think, hang on, wasn't Lydia wealthy? Well, she was. And we don't know exactly what happened uh, in the area. It could have been famine, you know, you never know. But there's a fair indication that what happened was persecution. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he talks about how they are experiencing the same trial that they saw Paul had. Uh, it seems that their association with Paul, their welcome of Paul and his companions, uh, and of Jesus, of course, actually put them at odds uh, with others and perhaps even uh, affected their businesses and their livelihoods. But whatever it was that happened, what we know is that it didn't diminish their generosity. In fact, quite the opposite, that out of their severe trial and their extreme poverty welled up a great generosity. In fact, they continue to take initiative. Doesn't this sound like Lydia to you? Doesn't this sound like the hallmark of Lydia? You know, you, they urgently pleaded for the privilege of contributing. Persuaded was the language back in Acts. The way that the Philippians began is the way that they continued. Note, please note, that you do not have to be rich to be generous. Rather, 
as Paul goes on to say, you just have to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich, rich in him. Lydia was the very first Macedonian Christian. By God's grace, she led the way, not only in believing in the Lord Jesus, but also in contributing to his cause. And her generosity was contagious. Following her lead, the Macedonian churches became a model of generous, sacrificial, enduring gospel partnership. The Lord opened wide Lydia's heart and she opened wide her home and her wallet. And as a result, the gospel flourished. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Lydia and for the example that she is to us. We thank you for the example of how simple it is for us to enter your family and your kingdom that all we need to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved. Father, I pray for every one of us that that would be true of us, that you would enable, that you, Lord Jesus, would open wide every single heart and enter in, that we might trust you. And Father, once your Son is in us and your Spirit is in us, please work powerfully through them. Please do not let us be complacent Christians. Do not let us be dabblers, but rather genuine, heartfelt witnesses in every way that we might use all that we have, both to speak uh, and also to support the work of the spread of the good news. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.